Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the Lord be with you. Thank you for joining us in worship again and for hearing these scriptures read. And I think the problem that we're looking at in today's reading on this Sunday where we mark the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus, where we see the glory of the Lord being shown on that mountain with his three disciples. The problem that we're seeing in today's reading is what I think is the problem of communication. You see, Paul's enemies rejected him because of his mannerisms, his diminutive size, his public speaking and delivery skills. As far as they were concerned, he didn't measure up to the false apostles that they admired. And they compared him to the flashier speakers and the false apostles who were better looking, who used more rhetorical flourish to entice their listeners. And to use a current phrase, they tried to cancel Paul. They had their own cancel culture. And so much of 2 Corinthians, if you have some time to read it, much of 2 Corinthians is Paul's defense of his calling to be an apostle. And the reading that we just heard is his response to those in the church who criticized him for being an ineffective preacher and speaker and leader. And in case you're new to church culture, as a necessity, pastors of churches must have what I call a tough exterior. But they also need an ego that is not so wedded to the job that they do. They need to make sure that their sense of identity is rooted in God. And pastors must try, with God's help, to cultivate a tender heart. A tender heart. Even toward their greatest critics. Otherwise, bitterness and cynicism will infect that pastor's heart. So, in Paul's case, 
instead of returning fire for fire, what does Paul do? And this is what I want to talk to you through the rest of our time. What does Paul do in response to his critics? Well, first of all, you notice in verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2, he lifts up his own integrity and the sound character of his ministry. And he basically says, look, look, my life is an open book. I have nothing to hide. Take a look. Basically, he's saying, we're not, we're not like the all flash and no substance leaders that you guys find so attractive. He tells them, well, first of all, it is by God's mercy and God's mercy alone that we're engaged in this ministry. And so we can take it. We're not going to lose heart because of your criticisms. We're not going to give up. Unlike the shallow false prophets, the false apostles, we, and here he is talking about his character and the character of those who serve with him, we have renounced shameful things that one wants to hide. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word, but by the open statement of the truth. That's what you call transparency. By the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. That's why I say to you that Paul then says, my life is an open book. The second thing he does, he says, now regarding our gospel, contrary to your criticisms, our gospel isn't veiled and it isn't ineffective. If it is veiled, he says, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And so Paul is saying that the problem was not due to a lack of content or good homiletical skill. The problem that you guys are describing is the problem of spiritual blindness, is what he's saying to his critics. And that's the first thing I want you to hear as Paul then begins to deal with this problem of communication and communicating the gospel, that the first problem that we're dealing with is the problem of spiritual blindness. There's nothing, Paul says, in my behavior that obscures God's word. There's nothing in my character that is nullifying the impact of God's word. He said, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And you can see that in verse 4, so that they can see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so the blindness of people to God's word is not due to human agency, he says. It's due to satanic activity. And so I want you to compare what Paul just said with what Jesus said in Mark 4, 14 through 15. And that scene you're looking at, I remember when we were in Israel going on that walk to, through that Batir um, forest, we encountered this, this stretch that we were on. And it just reminded me of that hard trodden soil where the farmer would throw the seed and the seed would go nowhere, but the birds would come and they would pick up the seed and nothing can grow on that hard trodden soil. And I can imagine Jesus looking at a similar terrain and the people understanding the similarity or the, the familiarity rather of the terrain that Jesus was describing. And Jesus says, these are the ones, the soil, these are the ones on the path 
where the word is sown. And when they hear, Jesus says, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And I think this is what Paul is also referring to. And why does Satan do that? Well, Satan doesn't want people to change. Satan doesn't want people to turn to God. And the goal then is to keep people from seeing the light of the gospel. And that is why we must pray. We must pray for our churches and for the proclamation of the gospel that the activity of Satan in hindering people from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus, that that work would be destroyed. But then when he looks at his own people, he sees the same spiritual condition. The Israelites cannot see the full glory of God in Moses' face. And Paul was going back to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus and to the book of Deuteronomy to explain what has been going on among his own people. When Moses came down from the mountain after being in the presence of God, Moses' face was shining. Moses had that first covenant that he was bringing to the people. And Moses' face was shining and they, they, they didn't want to see his face. And so Moses had to cover over his face. And Paul is saying that in the same way, even today, when people hear the reading of the Torah, their hearts and their minds are hardened. Their hearts and their minds were hardened. And even to this day, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 14, when they hear the reading of the Old Covenant, that same veil is still there. Since only in Christ is it set aside. And so I quote for you the words of the great 19th century Baptist preacher from London, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he said it this way, and I agree with him. One can be quite adept and knowledgeable about the natural things and still be blind to spiritual things. One may be a very keen politician, a first-rate business person, a woman, uh, an eminent scientist, a profound thinker, and still be blind to spiritual truths. Let me say that again. One may be a very keen politician. One may be a first-rate businessman or businesswoman, an eminent scientist, a profound thinker, and still be blind to spiritual truths. And we would add today, one can even be in the church, just like the children of Israel, and still be blind to spiritual truth. You see, to be spiritually blind is to lack spiritual discernment. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, the spiritually blind person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to them, and they're not able to discern them because they are spiritually discerned. And so no matter how much one might be exposed to Scripture and go to church, unless the Holy Spirit comes and opens our eyes and our hearts, we will not understand them. And in fact, there'll be foolishness to that person. They'll be meaningless. So I, I want you to hear this, my friends. That Paul is saying the problem here is not human communication. And you guys are criticizing me that I'm not a great 
preacher like the other preachers, but you're missing it. He says, we're not here to preach ourselves. We're not here to lift up ourselves. We're here to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ and to lift up the gospel. And I think Paul is describing for us a very graphic description of the human condition before God, that some people can see the glory of Jesus and some people are blind and they cannot see it. And how does, how does knowing this make you feel? If you're able to understand these spiritual truths and you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, how does that make you feel to know that we're living in a world, we're living in neighborhoods, we're living in, in communities where there are people around us who simply cannot see? But notice what he says in chapter 3 and verse 16. When one turns to the Lord, God lifts the veil of blindness. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what we hope for. That's what we strive for. That's why we share the gospel. That's why we pray. That's why we keep the doors of our church open. Because we still believe that when people turn to the Lord, as I did many years ago, as many of you did, you turn to the Lord and suddenly the light bulbs went on and you could see and you could understand and you could see the face of God in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly why we must understand God's response to this problem of communication, of spiritual blindness. And Paul tells us what God's response is. He says that the same God who spoke at the dawn of creation, who said, let there be light, and the light shined, in, shined into the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God is the one who shines the light. Don't miss this. Salvation is from the Lord, Habakkuk says. God has to move. God has to act. God has to draw us in order for the scales to fall off spiritually blind eyes. And just as God created order out of the chaos of the primordial world, God can create order out of the darkness and the chaos of our human condition. And when God shines his light into our darkness, we begin to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I went back and I read John chapter 1 again, and I saw it very clearly that Jesus came unto his own people, but they didn't know him. They rejected him. They preferred the darkness rather than the light. Jesus, the light of the world, coming into the world so that people might see, and yet the darkness continues. So what is our responsibility to all of that? Is that just a problem that was unique to, to the Greco-Roman world, to Paul's first century condition, or, or, or is that condition and those problems still with us even today? And I would like for you to understand that those problems and those challenges of communicating the gospel of bearing up under the load of being canceled by a cynical culture, of bearing up under the load of being criticized for sharing the gospel with people who are lost, that we must contend with that even today. And what is our responsibility? Well, last week I was coming out of the supermarket and I just watched a woman as she was pushing her cart. She just left the cart in the middle of the parking lot and she ran toward the sidewalk. And I, along with 
different people just turned and looked because they said, why did she leave her car? Where is she going? And she runs out there and out on the sidewalk was a sight impaired man. He had a couple bags of groceries in his hand. He had his cane with him and all around him was just mounds of snow. And I saw what was happening now. This woman was going to help this man navigate the mounds of snow so that he could stand safely at the bus stop and wait for his bus. Because if nobody was there to help him, chances are he would have tumbled over the snow on the sidewalk. And the woman just ran over and helped him. And I, 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 when I saw that, I just saw kindness being displayed through that woman because she could see that the man couldn't see. She could see that the man, because he couldn't see, was in danger. And she stepped in and saved the day for this man. And notice, notice how Paul describes our role. He says, we have this treasure. What is the treasure? I believe that treasure is that good news that God's love has come, that good news of the gospel. We have this treasure, this, this gift that we have to communicate. We have it in jars of clay. But notice what he says, so that it may be clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and not to us. The point being made I think, is that God has deliberately chosen people like us who are fragile and unimpressive. It wasn't just Paul who was being criticized for being unimpressive. Impressive. That's, that was Paul's point. God has chosen us as jars of clay. Why would God have such an important message, such an important treasure, and put it in vulnerable containers like we are? Paul says God wants to show the power of his glory through us. He leaves no room to suggest that that power comes from human beings or from himself. The power of the gospel is so overwhelming that it is not limited by the quality of the container. God displays his limitless power and glory by distributing it through limited, common, human clay vessels like ours. And yet it works. Blind eyes begin to see and people turn to the Lord. God shines his light in our hearts so that the life of Jesus may be made visible through our humanity. The face of the man that you're looking at is Kamesh, Kamesh Sankaran. He currently teaches as professor of engineering at, uh, and physics at Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington. And the reason why I mentioned this man to you, it's because of the story that he tells. He says this, at the time that I came to faith, I was a, a PhD student in aerospace engineering at Princeton. I grew up in southern India in a small city. My brothers and I were first-generation high school graduates. So the fact that I ended up working toward a NASA-funded PhD in advanced space propulsion at Princeton is nothing less than a miracle. And like many miracles recorded in Scripture, it had a deeper purpose to draw me to Christ. He said, my hometown 
is prominent in Hinduism because of its historic temples and a renowned monastery. Hinduism is in the soil, it's in the water, it's in the air. I grew up a devout Hindu in a, Hindu, a devout Hindu family that was inseparable from the highest echelons of, of, of religious leadership. My commitment to Hinduism grew deeper when I left home at age 11 to study at a boarding school run by a prominent religious leader where I excelled beyond the expectations of my family and my teachers. And many years later, I would become a leader of Hindu students, of the Hindu Students Association at Princeton University. Before arriving there though, I had been exposed to Christianity through friends, the prominence of, prominence of Catholic colleges in India, and Christian movies released in the US. I was also intellectually curious about the various world religions. I remember seeing the icons and statues in Orthodox and Catholic churches and thinking them to be similar to the gods I worshipped. I did not consider Christianity to be fundamentally different from Hinduism, but merely an appropriate religion for a different society. And Kamesh says, that's how I saw it, because my eyes were blind. On the other hand, he said, I harbored a deep disdain for Christian cultural and moral values as they were represented by Western culture. Like most Hindus today, I thought they were a form of debauchery. Compared to the teaching, teachings of Hinduism, they seemed intolerably lax. In my mind, then, Jesus could qualify as one among many in the pantheons of gods, but nothing more. My commitment to Hinduism also included strong nationalist element, elements and the worldview behind it, and this resulted in a deep distrust and antipathy toward religious conversion, especially conversion to Christianity. And then he said this, that despite all of these barriers and the blindness that he had in his life, he said, God was crucially at work in me to receive Christ, listen to this, through my friendship with a fellow PhD student. As I worked alongside him for more than 12 hours a day, I respected him as a colleague, and eventually I became close to him and to his friends and his family. And on a few occasions, he said, my friend would talk with me about the cross of Christ. Sensing that I was missing something, my friend explained that Jesus Christ died bearing our sins to reconcile us to God. This was something he's, Ram Kamesh said I'd never heard before. And it offended me. I was a deeply religious person, someone striving, diligently striving to be good. How could my friend think that anyone, much less someone like me, was a sinner in need of salvation? Yes, I had problems, but wasn't I capable of fixing them myself? Why would I need Jesus to bear my sins? But out of respect for my friend and fellow researcher, I asked him to provide evidence for his explanation of the cross, and he readily encouraged me to read C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And of course, C.S. Lewis was an author, he said, that I recognized from other popular works, but I quickly realized, he said, that I needed to go directly to the primary source. So I asked my friend, can you buy me a Bible? And when I received the Bible and I started reading it, Kamesh said, I was struggling and wrestling with three 
fundamental questions. Who is God? Who am I? What is my relationship with this God? And the more I pondered these questions, he said, and I read the Bible, the clearer it became that the answers offered by Hinduism and Christianity were utterly incompatible. And I had to reject the former, he said, to receive the latter. And functionally, I had to rethink all of life from a clean slate because I simply did not have a framework or vocabulary to make sense of my new identity. And then he goes on and he says these words, and this gets at the responsibility that we have. He says, every genuine Christian conversion is a miracle. To go from darkness to light, to go from blindness to sight, it is a miracle, it is a, it is a transition from spiritual death to eternal life, from enmity with God to adoption into God's family, yet God seems to take special delight in seemingly impossible cases like Paul, a former persecutor, so that the riches of his grace might shine all the more brighter. And when I consider the chasm between my old outlook in life and my new life in Christ, I can only marvel at God's work of redemption and fall down at his feet in praise. Once I was blind, he said, but now I can see. And he went on and thanked God for his friend who was not afraid of being ridiculed and challenged, but loved him enough to speak to him about the cross of Jesus Christ. This week, I did a slow read through the book of Philemon. It has only 14 verses. And this prayer that Paul prayed for Philemon is what I leave with you as we close. And I pray, Paul said to Philemon, and I pray as I pray for us as a community. Paul says, I pray that as you share your faith with others, it will grip their lives too, as they see the wealth of good things in you that come from Jesus Christ. Friends, they're not going to come to God because of our building. They're not going to come to God because we're Presbyterians. The people who are walking in darkness will see that great light because you take responsibility just like Paul and say, yes, I am a flawed vessel and God has put this rich treasure of the love of God, the good news of the gospel, and he has poured it into us so that the power and the results that come from sharing the gospel would not be given over to us, but it will be to the glory of God. Our responsibility then, like Kamesh's friend, is to love people enough to share God's message of hope and salvation with them. We're praying, many are praying, that our churches here in Evanston will come alive and begin to see that the burden of sharing this message rests on every believer. 
There's a class coming up. There's a class coming up called Organic Outreach. And if you check this week's bulletin, this week's newsletter rather, you will see information about that class. And I would encourage you to check that out. If you are concerned about seeing the eyes of blind people, blind, spiritually blind people opened, I would encourage you to check out that class. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.